Anita, you said you're not able to share. Let me see if I can. Looks like we got Kevin in here as well. Again, thank you guys for joining in on this. Um, such quick notice. Uh, I really appreciate it. Uh, let me see. All righty. Uh, we'll wait for Kevin to get in here real quick. How's everybody doing today? Well, man, how are you? I'm doing good, man. It's, I'm glad to be here. Uh, are you still not able to get in there to share? No. No, it's nice. It's host disabled participant screen sharing. Okay. Gerald. Yes, ma'am. It looks like it's recording. I'm just trying to figure out how to get Juanita up and running. Okay. Anybody aware of how to allow Juanita to share her? Maybe you have to make Juanita the host. Or I yeah, I was just about to say, I think you may have to make her the host. All right, Juanita, you should be able to get on there. All right, so I'm going to introduce everybody. Uh, first of all, we got Juanita Brent, who is Ohio State representative uh, here in Ohio. We got Broderick, uh, who's with Benelieves uh, Business Development. And we have Kevin Green, who's a leader at Cleveland School of Cannabis. Um, and so we decided to put this event together, obviously, because cannabis is newly legalized. Uh, here in Ohio. Um, I'm a cannabis patient myself, also an entrepreneur, so I work in the industry, uh, kind of consulting, helping people. Um, but, you know, there's a lot of laws and legislation and things that we have no idea that's going on, a lot of opportunities uh, in this industry that are going on. So I really wanted to create this event to showcase uh, us in the industry and the opportunities, the expansive uh, amounts of opportunities in the, in the field and in the industry. So uh, no further ado, I'll let uh, Juanita, go ahead. You can go ahead and go and share, uh, start us off uh, with, you know, current legislation. Who are you? What do you do? Um, you know, m most of us probably don't even know what a state representative does. Um, so I'm sure we can be informed a lot about you and your career path and how we can advance uh, black men specifically and black people uh, in the cannabis industry here in Columbus, Ohio and Ohio in general. Thank you so much, Gerald, for just even for the invite to be in this space with other um, progressive people like ourselves that want to see cannabis expanded, particularly amongst um, Black men, Black people. And so my name is Juanita Brent. I just happen to be a state representative for Ohio House District 12. The first question people always ask me, what is a state representative? So we're elected to office by the people in our district. I represent 135,000 people. I'm one of those you know, people that's nagging everyone with literature and signs all over the place. But state reps do two things. We make laws that affect the entire state of Ohio, 
regarding, particularly regarding cannabis. And then we also bring money from the state house to the local community. So the money for your schools, your roads, your bridges, your universities, any type of public entity that you have even thought of, no matter if it's determining if um, the soccer stadium in Columbus, I forgot what it's called, um, stays open. We help with all of those great things here within the state. So and I'm gonna start my presentation. Okay, so that's me here in the front. So just basically, we're going to talk about some basic things because people talk about how does cannabis affect government and what all comes with that and how a bill becomes a law. This is all very important because we can't talk about wanting to expand cannabis and getting more black men particularly involved with it unless we know what actually has to happen for this to occur. So we're going to talk about how a bill becomes a law. We're also going to talk about actually researching a bill, where is it at, um, how to look at where is that in committee, and we're going to look at some bills that I've introduced that have to do with cannabis and also about the hemp industry and about potentially having a lobby day. So I won't hold you guys too long because sometimes this can be born and unborn at the same time. So the first thing is that how does a bill become a law? It's always a big question to ask. The first thing you have to understand is that we have these wonderful lawyers. It's probably about 40 of them and they're called our legislative service commissions. They're a group of lawyers that basically all they do is write, they write the bill. So if I say, hey, I want to make the sky blue, they will legally, um, in legal terms, write it out to make it a, a bill that's legal, that actually makes sense legally. Um, I'm not a lawyer by trade, and most of my colleagues at the State House are not lawyers, because that's also another question I get from a lot of people. Hey, you're not a lawyer. How can you make laws? It's because we have this wonderful staff of nonpartisan people that write, actually write the bills itself, and we will actually give them the idea and what the bill should be including, and they will actually expand it to make sure that it's legal um, within itself. So they're called LSC. If you have a bill idea, you can almost go to almost any legislator, no matter if they're in the Senate or in the House, and say, hey, can you go to LSC and have them draft this bill for me? Most of us who, if we're a decent person, we will have no issues drafting that for you. Um, so after it's draft, and um, it's well, part of it that was not included on here, we would normally have interest party meetings. Interest party meetings are so important because during an interest party meeting, you will take it to everyone in theory that will be affected by that. So if you're talking about cannabis, you would take it to patients, you would talk it to, take it to distributors and producers and manufacturers. You also take it to people who are on possibly the um, medical cannabis board and get people's input so we can make sure that when the bill actually is introduced, in committee, there is um, as little feedback or pushback as possible. Once you get done with the actual interest party meeting is when you actually introduce the bill to the state house. We have this clerk's office and that's when they actually put the bill, put a bill number on it. It goes from being like just a, a draft to an actual bill. So a bill is actually when you have actual number assigned to the bill 
here in the state of Ohio, we have about 700 bills that have been introduced since this General um, Assembly started. Our General Assemblies always start on in January of the odd year. So we're about to be at the end of our General Assembly right now. So after it's been introduced, you will actually go and have it introduced into a committee. So the bill, one of the bills that we're gonna discuss with mine has been introduced to the health committee. And so when you're looking at a bill, it would be introduced. Um, the chairman would decide when they want the bill for the first hearing, which is always the sponsor testimony. And the sponsor testimony is literally the committee hearing where the legislator, it could be a representative or a senator, depending on what chamber the person's in, actually has a committee hearing. This committee hearing is just for them. No one else gets to normally come speak at it except for the legislator. Um, and then we will have proponent and opponent testimony. If you're lucky, you will have a chairperson that will allow you to have a sponsor testimony, as well as a proponent and the opponent testimony all at one time. But if you have a more traditional chairperson, which we have a lot of traditional conservative chairs at the um, state house, they will make you have three, at least three hearings, where one would be the sponsor testimony, which is just the, the legislator. And then the second one would be the proponent, which is people who are in agreement with the bill. And then you have the third one would be opponent, which are people who are against the bill. Um, you cannot control who comes and speaks on behalf because the state house is the people's house. So almost anybody could come, but normally as a representative, we normally like to try to make sure we are controlling the situation by bringing as many people for proponent testimony and controlling who does not come with op opponent testimony. So after a bill actually gets um, voted out of the committee, then it goes for a floor vote in that chamber. So during that time period, me being a representative, I have to almost kind of go whip the votes. I have to go talk to as many legislators as possible and try to convince them to vote for this bill. This is why bills take so long because there are 99 of us in the house. And if anybody tried to do any type of family project, even if you have three or four people in your family, you know it's a lot to make a decision. So imagine trying to do that with 99 people who are from all different parts of the state of Ohio. So for instance, I just had a bill that became a law earlier this year. It took almost six months for this bill to become a law, which is considered a short time frame. I have colleagues who have bills that have been in circulation for years and they still have not become a law because of the, the, the process of just trying to convince people that your bill is some bill that they want to vote on. So once the bill is passed out of one chamber, particularly um, the chamber that I'm in, which is the House, then it moves over to the Senate to repeat this whole process over again. And sometimes that part becomes very tedious, but normally if it's passed in one chamber, unless there is some bureaucracy where somebody doesn't like someone, which is the honest truth, your bill normally will pass without drama but if you have some drama, they will stop your bill because people are petty at the state house. So once it's passed out of both chambers, the House and the Senate, then it actually gets signed into law by the, um, by the Speaker of the House and the um, President of the Senate. And then last but not least, you have it signed into law by the governor. 
which is the most important part because that's when the bill actually becomes a law. We stop seeing bill, blah, blah, blah. We say, hey, it's this law. And then it becomes part of all the Ohio revised code. So, and if you're wondering like, hey, I'm not trying to make a bill into law, there's a bill that I'm looking into. This is where we get into the legislative research. It's really easy to figure out how you can actually find out about a bill. You go to ohiohouse.gov. And this is the same website that we all use. Like there's no like secret website that us legislators use. People always think that we have like some secret website of information. We use the same website that the public uses. So once you go to ohiohouse.gov, there is a tab right here at the top, right here called legislation. You, once you click on that, you will actually um, go and see a legislation tab where you will see a search engine. You can actually put the bill number in there, but if you can't rem remember it, like if you're looking for cannabis, you can just put the word cannabis in there and it will literally pull up anything from this general assembly or any past general assemblies that has to do with cannabis. So again, for those, because I know I'm, I'm really good with repetition, when you go to ohiohouse.gov, you click on the icon at the top, the tab at the top, it says legislation. It will give you a search bar and then you will click on that area by putting in a bill number or a word that's associated with the bill that you are looking for. So even if a bill has become a law, you actually will see it there too. And you can look at the whole process of where it's been and all of this information. You can find a contact information for the legislator. If you wanna get in contact with that person, you can see where it is in committee. You can see, you can actually look at the testimony and read the testimony because everyone had to turn in written testimony. And you can also allow yourself to see who's all on the committee, which is very important. So part of your research too is knowing who the players are, knowing who the chairperson is, learning people's um, tendencies to do certain things. So when I see a bill is like the cannabis bill that I introduced is in the health committee with Rep Litz, my first um, thought process is, hey, I need to go talk to Chairman Lips about my bill, and I also need to go talk to the speaker. People even like yourself can go advocate for a bill or, you know, say you don't like a bill by going to talk to the chairman because the chairman is the one who would determine if a bill actually even has a hearing in a timely manner or not. So if you're just trying to find an actual legislator like myself, you will still be on the same website, ohiohouse.gov. This is the same website, like I said before, that even myself has to look up information for um, my colleagues, there's no separate websites. I don't know why, but we would go to ohiohouse.gov and you could click on the tab, um, representatives, and you could click it by region, you can click it by house district, you can actually find us by our last names, or you can even go to the front page of the ohiohouse.gov and look us up right here in this section where my mouse is, you see a tab right there, a pull down section for representatives and for districts. So that's always the, the easiest way to try to find us that way. Always just way easier. So to the good part, cannabis and hemp at the state legislature. So we have House Bill 614, which is a bill that I introduced earlier this year. And this bill was actually inspired by a, some, a mom that I met. Her name is Tiffany. 
and I'm actually going to say her name because sometimes people don't always get credit for what they are doing and what, what inspiration they are for us legislators. She has a son and she contacted my office just saying like, you know, Rev, I really like living in Ohio, but I need to make sure my son has access to cannabis. And this is becoming a barrier for the quality of life for my son. So we had talked, I think maybe like two or three times, we talked about the idea of allowing more people for the um, to for medical cannabis and you notice I use the word cannabis and not marijuana but for authorizing more people to be able to use medical cannabis for the autism spectrum and just coming up with a better process of how we can add more more um, conditions to this if anybody's dealt with cannabis you know that our medical Cannabis board has been very difficult to work with when it comes to adding different disorders to allow more people to be able to utilize it. So at this point, they've said that the only way that they're going to change something is to put it back here on us legislators. So that means that we have to introduce a, a bill like I did to actually open up the process so more people can be able to access medical cannabis. So that's House Bill 614. And I'm going to revert back to the previous slides that if you want to look at the bill and it, the full bill itself, which is not a long bill, it's like 30 pages, it's a good easy read, you can go to ohiohouse.gov and click on the tab that says legislation and you can just put in the number 614. If you put in the number 614, it, you will see the whole bill and you will um, see what the progress of this bill has been. So, so far I've not received an a hearing for this bill at all. Um, I'm not really surprised because um, just because of people are just very, I, we deal with a lot of conservative colleagues at the State House, but I will be re reintroducing this bill and the next General Assembly, which starts in January 2021, because it's very necessary that as a state of Ohio, we figure out a process to be able to add more qualifying medical conditions for um, medical cannabis here within the state. So this picture is probably one of the best moments <laughs> for myself. So I'm gonna talk about the bill, House Bill 642, but I'm gonna tell you what was so great about this picture. This is in a hemp field for a lady I met, and her name is Julie. And I've been working with her and some other cannabis people for the longest, but this is here in a hemp farm. What makes this so significant? Because one of the first legislations that I was able to contribute to, it wasn't my bill, but I was able to contribute to it, was Senate Bill 57, which legalized hemp in the state of Ohio, which is huge because it didn't make any sense that every state, almost every state, except for Ohio, had legalized hemp a long time ago. So this is a picture from the hemp field. Um, so House Bill 642 is a bill I introduced also this year that will repeal crimes of trafficking and possessions of cannabis. And someone always asked me, why didn't you just go forward with doing adult use? Because the way our laws are set up, you first have to decriminalize something before you can allow there to be adult use. If there's adult use that's put into law, it actually would um, cross out itself um, in that process. So again, if you're looking for the bill language for House Bill 642, you would go to ohiohouse.gov and you would click, click on legislation 
and click on 642. This bill has been a labor of love. And I will say 641 and 642 were actually a big bill. Um, if anybody knew me probably about a year ago, I had a bill that was literally a thousand pages. And I have been struggling because I was so in love with the bill. But every time I would show someone the bill, people would be like, this is just too much to read. And I realized for me to actually have any type of real traction, for me to actually have people to have any interest, I had to break it down into multiple bills. So that's where we went from having one big bill to have a 641, which is the um, medical cannabis, adding um, medical, con medical, medical conditions for uh, medical cannabis, and then 642, which is the decriminalization of cannabis. And so I'm going to be reintroducing both of these bills here within the state of Ohio. So Senate Bill 57, which is signed into law, which is the hemp bill, which is from the picture above, it was so vital that this bill was passed. It's such low-hanging fruit, and I just say for, you know, for our Black men, this is like an easy segue if you want to get a license into the hemp um, business. It's only $600 to get a license here in the state of Ohio. It's really simple. I don't think you um, um, are going to have to have much overhead. The only thing about it is that you just have to have the land. Um, there's some other restrictions, too, about it, even when it comes to our inspection process that becomes a little bit tedious because we are still trying to get our whole process together to actually inspect the product because this is still a very new program. Um, we've put quite a bit of money in the state of Ohio. We've actually um, built a whole another segment of our Department of Agriculture to accommodate the hemp program so we can have testing done within a timely manner. We've hired multiple um, what they call investigators to come out and do the testing of it. And so this is our first harvest we've had just recently. And I've had the opportunity to actually watch on Zoom as multiple hemp farmers um, harvest this year. So I would love to see more African-Americans. I think if I can remember off my list, I think there were probably like four out of 197 Black people who actually had a license here within the state, which is crazy because the license cost is so cheap. I'm just really always surprised that we don't have more. So I know that is my next step is trying to make sure that the amount of licensures represents the, the people here in Ohio. Part of that barrier is that when I know when this bill was written that if you have a felony, you cannot get a hemp license, which makes no sense because we need to stop criminalizing plants and that if people have already paid their time, why are we recriminalizing them by saying they can't get a license for a certain product? Um, you know, and I, I'm not going to belabor this whole thing with hemp, but hemp is so vital when you talk about making, you know, paper, um, plastic bags. Like where I live in Cleveland, we actually have a plastic bag ban. So all of our stores have to use paper bags. So it was so vital to me that we legalize hemp within my first general assembly because we need to be looking at other manufacturing options. And one of the best ways to do that is also using hemp. Hemp is also good for um, revitalizing our land and our water. I went to Japan some years ago and they literally have hemp on a raft and they were using that as a filtration system for their, for their water. So if you can come up here, I know I'm talking to a lot of smart people, but if one of you guys can come up with a filtration system with hemp, 
basically it's really simple put on a RAV and um, get the patents for here. I hope you would do that. I legally cannot. Non-governmental um, organizations, or I mean, or it could be governmental, but normally it's non-governmental organizations that do that come and lobby. I mean, advocate for a bill. So it's 132 of uh, legislators between the Senate and the House. We'll have organizations that will come in and have meetings with all of us the same day. What tends to be the most effective way to do a lobby day is to bring people from somebody's district. I tell you, if someone tells me you're bringing somebody from Cleveland Ward 1 or you're bringing somebody from Warrensville or bringing somebody from Bedford or bringing somebody from Orange, I'm personally going to take the meeting. But if you're telling me that it might be um, so-and-so from Pickering, I'm just throwing a city out there, not because it's Pickering, but if just a random city that's not in my district, I'm less likely to take the meeting and I'm more likely to have one of my one of my staff to actually take the meeting because our days are busy. So in between of having session, having committees, we're still having these meetings and people are still having lobby days. So it's always a good point of interest to try to find people who are connected to that, um, that legislator's district. That's always a good point of interest and have your facts together, like have a one pager. Don't just come in here talking and don't assume that we know about your topic and don't assume that we like your topic. Do your research on every rep, like look at people's voting history, which is so important when you talk about having a lobby day. If you have a person that has a tendency to vote against your topic, know that when walking in the door. I don't, I tell people don't be blindsided when you go to certain of my colleagues and you find out that they're anti-cannabis, but you could know that they're anti-cannabis because they voted against the hemp bill. And so people who tend to vote against hemp bills tend to also be anti-cannabis at the same time. So do your research. And the easiest way to do people's do research on it, call into the office and you can ask their staff, which our staffs are pretty, they'll tell you almost anything if you want them to know. And then also just look on the legislation research. So if you can look at a bill, you can see how all of us voted on a particular bill. So just real quick, I'm just here for questions. For everyone, I'm gonna stop sharing my my screen. I hope that was helpful. I know that was a lot, um, and with everything, I just hope that was helpful. But the the biggest key to all of this is that we have to know the process. A lot of people, I realize, just being a legislator, people don't know the process, and so they say like, "Oh, I want to be in this cannabis field," but they don't know the chair of the health committee. They don't know the chair of the ag committee. They don't know the chair of the criminal justice committee. They don't know the people on the medical cannabis board. So you got to know the players. You got to know the process. You got to know the rules. If we do not know the rules, we cannot make changes to the current rules that are pressing as barriers um, within our communities. And so if people don't know that with hemp, you cannot have a felony to have a license. So maybe you need to have your license in your wife's name because you have a felony and instead of, and it still could be your business on paper, but she has a license in her name. So it's ways to get around it instead of just saying like, oh, I can't do this because hemp is only a $600 license. Like that's it. Like you could be, have a full business, be thriving 
and do this. Um, it's one person right now that has a contract for like $500,000, um, which might not seem like a lot. I don't know, we might have some ballers on here, but um, they're, we just need to make sure we know the business. And also too, and I'm gonna say this and I'm gonna wrap up, having access to land, I know people know realtors, but there's a different thing of having land realtors. Um, and we don't have any black land realtors that are into um, selling people farmland. Um, we have a lot of black people that sell people real estate, which is the actual house. But you need to find people that are selling you land. You need land to buy. Um, and it might sound easier said than done, but buying land is the key to all of this. Um, and then also to get it connected with the social entities like the Ohio Farm Bureau. One of the complaints I made to them when they asked us for some money is that they sent out brochures that have no black people on it. So being connected in that process will help you get connected in a system because when they're, when they're having to meet their minority quota, they're only gonna stick with the, the couple of minorities that they see at their meetings all the time. But if you're not showing up to the table and we're giving them money and we're giving them funds, that's not gonna happen. Also another bill that you guys need to be concerned about, particularly as black people, is the um, first time farmers tax credit. We're about to be passing that out of, the Ohio House is about to be going signed soon enough. And the first time um, farmers tax credit will give you up to $100,000 for first time farmers. It's basically any farmer that's been less than 10 years. Knowing the rules is key. Knowing the rules is key. Knowing how to get that money is key. Once this money comes out, it will only have, it will have a sunset period for five years. And once that money's gone, that's it. So I definitely look back and following up with Gerald and all you other lovely people to about getting money for, for that. So did anybody have any questions? Hey, more so than a question, I, it was just a statement. I wanted to say, can you guys hear me? Yeah, we can hear. I can hear you. Yep. Awesome. Awesome. I just want to say thank you to you. Uh, I just want to say thank you to you, Representative Juanita, for helping us out with the Cannabis Can Initiative, like um, both years. You know, um, you were very gracious in writing us a letter to help legislate for us and make that recycling program come to fruition or at least get on the table. So. You know, we just want to say thank you for all of your efforts that you've been doing for everybody, um, specifically us, you know what I mean? Um, just Blacks as well as cannabis, but cannabis can, but just in general, just thank you so much because it's really hard to do the, a lot of this advocacy without having someone um, keeping us in mind, you know what I mean? And, and really trying to push those efforts. So, you know, uh, thank you. Tip, ha, ha, tipped off to you. You know, I just want to make sure I said that before uh, everything gets going. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I want to piggyback on Solomon. Um, the reason I reached out to you is because I think I found you through social media and Instagram. Um, and I saw you pushing for, you know, hemp legislation, cannabis legislation. And I'm from uh, the East Coast originally. So being here in Ohio is a little bit different for me um, in terms of the conservativeness uh, in the politics. Um, so seeing you being a black woman in there doing your thing is, uh, is inspiring, one. Uh, two, I think it's much needed to be able to speak across, uh, you know, terminology to our community. A lot of times we're afraid of these institutions, um, but we're the people that should be running these institutions at the end of the day. So um, having you give that feedback, uh, I think will help a lot of us go out into our respective communities uh, and be able to disseminate some of this information 
uh, and hopefully get more people into hemp uh, and, and getting some of these monies too, because a lot of people don't realize that they're, the government is giving out money for programs. Um, not just We're for giving out a lot of money. We're giving right. out a lot of money. Yeah, yeah. You know, a lot of money. I mean, and you know, we have to turn into corporations and businesses and do business with the government. Uh, and then we can hire our own. Uh, we can hire within our own community and disseminate that. So um, those are some great points that you touched on there um, that I got. And does anybody else have any questions for Juanita or anything? I have a question. This is, uh, go ahead. My apologies. Uh, go, go, go first, go first. Uh, Representative, uh, my name is Kenneth Tyree of CCG Consulting. And my question is in regards to the bill that was uh, passed and then repealed for cannabis uh, companies and included in that bill stated that 15% of the companies would be reserved for minority owners. And in reading through that bill, the individual that wrote it, the attorney, obviously wasn't very bright because, one, he didn't include women in writing that. So it was an easy way for that judge to obviously uh, repeal the bill in that particular instance, saying that that was unconstitutional for minorities to be included in that bill. Now, how would we go about uh, challenging that particular thing and getting the 15% back that was originally written in that bill. So I'm so glad you said that because I'm actually writing the legislation right now so we can have that 15% um, for minorities. For those who are at home and they're like, what is he talking about? So when the state of Ohio decided to legalize medical cannabis, we wanted to make sure there was a 15% set aside to make sure that at least 15% of all the licensees were at least minorities. The language was not, I agree, it was not written where it could stand up in court. And so, you know, some white men took this to court and they said, this is not fair. You are discriminating against us white men. We are being oppressed and we need to get our license too. Wow. So they took it to court and now it's been taken out of the law. So that's why I say in a sense of you know, we do have legal teams that write stuff for us. We just have to make sure sometimes even get outside help because in this situation, it was not written by our legislative service commission. It was actually written by another lawyer who was outside of our realm of people that we utilize. So I'm actually having to write this out to actually have a study commission on why we need to make sure that 15% of all of our licenses are um, by minorities. And somebody's saying like, well, why do we have to prove why we need to have a license? Because if we don't have like proof here in the state of Ohio, we are so conservative that even if other states around us like Indiana, Pennsylvania, Michigan, who are having like actual success in this area, if we don't have proof here in the state of Ohio, because we're so super conservative that it won't happen. So I'm so glad you brought that up because that's something I'm writing right now. And I'm looking at some of the studies that other states have done that have been actually effective to make sure this happens so we can get more minorities to have a license. Um, at this time. And then two, it was a, with that one situation that how I came up in court, from my understanding, there was a, a black woman who was on paper, the licensee, but the person who was actually the actual licensee, sir, was these white men. And so yes. these other white men were like, well, that's not cool. Like we can just be walking around, get 
grabbing black women and saying like, we're going to put the license in your name. So that's just the reality. Like if I want to just talk straight with you, when um, people feel like you're running game on them, that's when they took it to a higher level and took it to court. But I think if they, I'm not going to say that they would have never taken it to court, but it made it easier even when they were they speaking to me about it, why they took it to court, because they felt like people were basically going to be using black people to get a license because of this 15 minute, I mean, 15% um, mandatory quota of licensures. Right. But then, in, you know, the caveat to that is that the individuals that sued the state, the uh, commission equious to them and gave them a license, mm-hmm. which they, had a set number of license and they said, okay, this is where we're at. And then they materialized another license for this entity that was suing them. And then they still upheld this statute, which doesn't make sense to me. It goes back into the, the situation that we have institutional racism, even within our system. And I know it's somebody at home that's clutching their pearls, like, oh my goodness, she's talking about racism. But racism is real when it comes to that. It makes no sense that we have nothing but white people with licenses um, within this field when we know there are plenty of, of, of black people who have known, who uses, who um, studied this, and it might not have been in a formal education setting, but we, we know these products. Like, we don't, you know, but we just want to make sure here within the state of Ohio, well, I want to make sure as a state representative that people are just given a chance to get into this market because what's going on right now is not right. I will say this as a disclaimer, I was not a state representative when this passed. I was not a state representative when this got, well, I was a state representative when it got struck down in court, but I just became a state representative because I know I get that question too from people like, well, why didn't you do something? I was like, well, I wasn't. I wasn't the rep. <laughs> right. Well, if there's anything that you would need, um, and as far as resubmitting that bill, please reach out to uh, us, and I would gladly share the resources that we have with you in that aspect. Well, I'm going to give my contact information out to everyone real quick. So I'm going to put it here in a group chat, but I'm also going to say it. It's rep12 at ohiohouse.gov. That is my email address. Probably the easiest way to get in contact with me. I'm also going to put my office number in there, too. It's 614-466-1408. I'm probably one of the few reps who still check their emails and answers their phones Monday through Friday. So um, please contact me because uh, I would love to be able to work together because I realize this is, we get we go farther together, not separately to get this done. So I would love to be able to follow up with you. And one more thing, Miss Juanita, uh, I would just like to, uh follow off of Mr. Tyree and say thank you as well. Uh, I'm a patient, I'm a employee and a black male in the industry. And I also, my sister and I have a sickle cell anemia. So, you know, sickle cell warriors, uh, I believe that cannabis is a much better uh, plant and like, you know, medicine than uh, opioids. And it's sad that not even the opioids are as strict um, as rules 
that that they have on, on this plant. So I'm I'm willing to you know in any way help try to you know after hearing and learning more more ways that we need to educate ourselves in our community, willing to try to help you get things out in the, in the industry, the awareness, the education, and just you know continue to spread it, whatever we can do to help our community get involved because I've seen a lot working in it and as it needs to be more of us involved for sure. I agree. And I thank you so much for even saying that. Um, this particularly, this is what I need to hear, like your story in hopes. And this is what I was starting to do was doing tours of talking about people in the cannabis field, particularly black people. And I set up like all these tour dates. I had a tour. I had a, a presentation in Columbus, one in Cleveland. I had some other tour dates, but this pandemic is really holding any type of progress I would like back because I realized for us to make progress, particularly as black people in this cannabis field, we have to go around and educate people and have those uncomfortable conversations. Even when our religious, you know, people, we have to have conversations with them because sometimes I've run into situations even recently where they'll come get a group of black pastors and be like, well, these black people don't want cannabis. And you'd be like, well, I don't even know Pookie and Ray Ray's pastor over here. Like, who is this? But we have to get, and educate our own people before people get to them. And so we have to, I have to figure this out virtually now. How can I get this message out? And I'm gonna need everyone that's listening to this part of this conference to help me with this mission if we really wanna make progress in cannabis. So I'm gonna need all of you guys. I'm gonna need you to tell your story. I'm gonna need people to be able to challenge this and we just have to work together to get this done, but it has to go to all those places. We might even have to go to some rural places. I went to Pickerton, not Pickaway, I went to Pickaway County for a hemp conference. And anybody know about Ohio, Pickaway is super white and it's super rural. But I went to this super white and super rural place talking about why black people need to be in cannabis. And all these people were very receptive. I got a couple hugs just before the pandemic because we have to have those conversations. If we can't have these conversations, we cannot make the progress that we need to have here within the state of Ohio. So that's my challenge to you guys and also the challenge I put on myself. All right, well, challenge accepted and I appreciate it. Uh, so I'm willing, I would definitely be uh, putting my best efforts to help and I'm willing to travel anywhere and talk to anyone. So, Thank you. Well, Representative, the ideology that uh, CCG Consulting took in this particular aspect is to um, look at the cannabis as a whole and how people receive messages. So we took the path of higher education and we are working with Central State University in order to disseminate information about hemp and cannabis. And I think when the information comes from a reputable university or any higher education institution that it will be received better. So in working with an HBCU and a land-grant university and the only other land-grant university being Ohio State, which will be sharing information with Ohio State, if that information is coming from these universities that it'll be highly received. And then we can push the narrative from that aspect. I, I agree. We have to really re more um, utilize Central State. I know I'm a member of the Ohio Legislative Black Caucus. And so we just had a meeting with their new president and we talked about the importance of cannabis and particularly hemp 
because Central State does have a license to study hemp and they have a robust agriculture program. You know, that's what their yes. school is foundation is based off of. And I'm not saying this so much for you, Tyree. I'm saying this for the other people because, you know, other folks don't always know that what Central State is and that it is a land-grant school and that's what its basis is. So we're having this new president. One of our requests as the Legislative Black Caucus is to be able to have an ex-official member on their board of trustees, which we will have. And I'm not sure it's going to be myself or somebody else. I'm not sure who it's going to be. But then also to make sure that they are providing those resources because there's full scholarships that we can, that they have available to people to get more black people in the agriculture field. So we need to figure out how we can funnel more people into those programs um, because the, you know, agriculture education, agriculture science of things is so underutilized, but there's so much money and resources and education that is there. Oh, there's billions of dollars in agricultural research and education. Well, I guess that was the end of the questions. I just want to thank Gerald so much for this opportunity. I also want to say hi to Dr. Williams. I see she's on here too. Um, I know I keep on um, seeing her in different events, so I know I'm in good company. Um, in yes, hi, too. how are you? I'm good. Good to see yeah, you. Yeah, I'm driving, so I apologize, but I wanted no, no, to at no. least tap in and see um, and take a listen to you. And you know that I'm 100% behind everything that you're doing. And really, I've been talking to actually a number of people lately about doing church-related talks um, to really get rid of the uh, misconceptions about cannabis and CBD and really have open communication about faith, um, cannabis, and wellness. So um, I would love to kind of, you know, outside of this, have a conversation and, and have you be a part of that. I would love to because that really has to be the next step is talking to our quote-unquote conservative base, which is our, our religious leaders. So education is key. Doctor, I'm all the way with you. So whatever you have, you know, it's been other projects we've worked on. I'm yeah, with you on this one too. So yeah, count absolutely. me in. Absolutely. That sounds great. Any more questions for Juanita? Let her go. I think that was, that was very informative. Uh, my goodness. So I, I mean, I want to give you a round of applause just for that. Thank you. Um, I think it's very important that we uplift one another. Like you said, um, you know, I'm a former football player at Ohio University. That's what brought me to Ohio. Um, but, you know, teamwork makes the dream work. And, you know, I believe is, you know, we all continue to rise. We can pull up one another. So um, it's important that we go through the legislation, though, uh, as we see. So uh, you know, thank you, Juanita. If you have anything else, uh, we'll just let you go and then we'll move on to Broderick and Kevin. All right. Thank you, Juanita. All right. So we're going to move on to uh, Broderick and Kevin. Uh, Kevin Green. Broderick is uh, business development over at Benaleaves uh, here in Columbus, Ohio, which is a cannabis processor. Uh, and then we have Kevin Green, who is in leadership at the Cleveland School of Cannabis. Uh, so we'll have them come on and just uh, showcase who they are and their, their companies that they work for uh, and being black men in, in the cannabis space. Uh, so one of you guys can take it over. Uh, I'll go with Broderick since you're up here. All right, uh, morning everyone. Uh, my name is Broderick. Um, 
I'm a processing technician as well as a business development and outreach manager at a business leaves. It's a standalone processing facility in the west side of Columbus. Um, there at Bending Leaves, we make uh, everything from edibles, capsules, the vape carts, uh, topicals, and uh, um, basically, uh, I've been in the industry now for a little over uh, a year, six, seven months, um, and uh, I just I. As I said, I mentioned to Juanita, I'm a sickle cell warrior and patient. So I'm really a believer in the medicine. It's a plant. Um, I've I've gone against a lot of stigmas, even from my family, the church. So I definitely can agree. Uh, um, and, in, and in the community period, I uh, fought against so many things, but I, I'm gonna continue to fight. And at Ben Leaves, you know, I believe that they're, you know, uh, a great representative to the the industry to, that they're pay, patient focused and they're driven to like you know actually produce quality medicine that helps people the qualifying conditions that are, that are you know listed and mentioned but i believe they're you know actually trying to hear, hear people out in their stories so it's, the thing is we we need you know more education more opportunities out there for people to to know you know what's going on how how this medicine is affecting and working but there's not there's not like a lot of that out there so you know i want to thank gerald for organizing this and you know putting it on because you know we're a processing facility that's willing to provide a tour to anyone out there that you know and you know is willing to come see how everything is made you know the, the edibles, they're, you know, we got multiple levels. They're gluten-free. You know, we got chocolate chip, cho uh, white chocolate cherry oatmeal. Um, gummies. Gummies, you know, we got multiple flavor of those, the nano emulsified. So they're gonna, you know, work a little bit faster for you. And if you need that quick, quick and instant relief, we have I mean, vape carts ranging from all different uh, terpenes and effects that can, you know, help you depending on what time of the day you might need to give you that extra kick or push. Um, you know, it's, it's a lot to the industry that I just feel like, you know, so many people, especially not within our community are unaware of. And, you know, uh, it's, it's important to, you know, continue to, you know, be behind with stand behind a company that's willing to, you know, push push that out there in the community is that it's good quality medicine and, and, but also be focused on helping the people that, you know, actually truly need it. And I feel like it's patience over profit in my, my honesty. Uh, and basically, you know, what are some of those qualifying conditions uh, to even be able to uh, be recommended cannabis? So I mean, you got you know sickle cell anemia. Start with that. You got uh, autism, Crohn's, um, you know, chronic chronic pain is the number one once like that I've uh, heard about or seen. Um, Arthritis. It, um, Where is there twenty? Is there twenty one? Twenty two. Twenty two. Yep. 
There's and, 22 uh, presently. November 1st is the, uh, as of November 1st, it's an opportunity to submit to the uh, commission more, um, uh, more recommendations. More recommend, uh, right, recommendations. So that's where Dr. Bridget Williams can shine if she yeah. wants to submit anything that she thinks is uh, necessary. And I think uh, Broderick is actually underselling Benelieves a little bit. Like the history of Benelieves, the owner is actually, this is one of the, you know, uh, very few black owned companies mm -hmm. in cannabis in the state. And the yeah, lineage uh, of these know. guys, this is Glory Foods in the cannabis industry. Yep. So they know what they're doing. Right. Manufacturing. They know growth. They, and I had the opportunity to actually uh, tour the facility. And I come from a you know, medicine background and seeing the pharmaceutical structure of their entity is absolutely amazing. And the scientists that I work with, they would be proud of how uh, Benelis is actually functioning right now. Correct, yeah. I mean, to build off of that, it's, you know, it's actually food and drug you know, National Food and Drug operating, you know, and ready to go. So FDA built and standing. It, uh, Bill definitely, is, you know, co past prior owner of uh, Glory Foods. I definitely agree. They, they've got it, you know, operating very smooth. And, and the only besides uh, yesterday, my first experience at a Black-owned dispensary, uh, Have a Heart, that's, this is the first owned facility that I know that's black owned that isn't a dispensary. So where is that? That was down in Cincinnati. Cincinnati. And I'm just yeah. asking these questions just so people are familiar and we know we have people from Cleveland, Cincy, Columbus. Um, so I just want to make people know that, you know, when we're out here, you know, that there are some places that we can go, uh, you know, specifically. I just went on my tour to, uh, of Benelieves the other day. Um, so to piggyback off you guys, beautiful facility, great. Uh, you know, I was welcomed with open arms, um, showcased pretty much most of the facility, very clean, um, great employees. Um, and so uh, that, that's just a showcase of what we can do, I think, in the industry when we lead. You know, it's not just that we're just consumers or, you know, patients. We can lead from you know, a C-suite position where we can be the, the front runners of this, uh, this industry, especially as a black man. I mean, Bill's a black man, you know, running that. So, um, you know, those are the stories too that I think we have to share and uh, get those out to our community, you know, because obviously it's like when you see LeBron James or somebody, everybody wants to play basketball. Well, when we see Bill running this, you know, I don't remember how big the, how, how big is your facility, Roger? I'm sorry. How big is the facility square footage wise? Um, I'm not exactly exactly sure the square footage, but I, you know it's pretty pretty big. Um, I mean, we got everything from yeah, from you know the seven thousand square foot probably. So you know that is important that we showcase you know people in every sector of the industry. Um, and, and, you know, to piggyback off of what Dr. Williams and Juanita said, obviously, you know, most of us grew up in the church, go to church, um, but that stigma against cannabis in the church has, you know, caused a lot of people to leave the church, I would say, but that is something. Can I, can I chime in real quick too? Um, 
Uh, thanks, Broderick, for bringing up uh, Have a Heart dispensaries. That's here in Cincinnati. I'm here in Cincinnati. Um, I'll bring it up more uh, in my segment, but I've done some consultancy for Have a Heart and kind of helped them out at the infancy stages before they could really get pushed out there because just like Dr. Uh, I mean, excuse me, uh, Representative Juanita was saying, um, there are problems and there have been problems. Uh, have a Heart was one of the people that was brought up in that case. Uh, that basically wrote the, the uh, legislation out of the paperwork, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, it was just a very hard road to actually get a dispensary open. So <clears throat> being that once they got that dispensary open, I want to say it, it was that they have a 10,000 square foot facility. They have the biggest dispensary in the state of Ohio. So just if people didn't know, the Black-owned dispensary is the biggest dispensary in the state of Ohio. So let's just make sure that we uh, <clears throat> cause awareness to that. And if you can go there, uh, send people there. I'm sorry? Support. Support them. Yeah, support them, definitely. But yeah, just wanted to chime in on that because it, it is very big that <clears throat> Ben Leaves is Black-owned, Have a Heart is Black-owned, black and utilizing both of them together you know is such a great thing and it shows a whole lot of uh potential and, and not even just potential it shows like a roadmap of really where you can go uh in the ohio industry so right. you know, just, just there's also nora labs in dayton yeah 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 it's nicole also, ross mm -hmm. right thank thank you solomon and uh, i agree you know just to piggyback off that as well you know, black companies need to work together. Uh, ben and Leaves is a processing facility that can provide uh, products to the dispensary, which could then sell to the patients. So there you go. Um, and I'm fairly new to Ben and Leaves myself, and that, like I'm not trying to underrepresent anybody, but at the same time, I definitely agree that you know we need to get the awareness out there that this is one of the uh, black-owned companies in the market, and so so is. Uh, have a heart and you know it's and project you were at you were at a dispensary before you went to the processing facility right yeah i mean so i got i got you know some perspective on you know different ends you know so the, on the dispensary side i was in managing and it was fairly at the beginning of the industry so when it, you know the market first opened in central ohio and it was pretty fast-paced Basically, you know, everyone was getting used to the rules. The the rules here in Ohio aren't the, you know, the typical uh, cannabis culture you would kind of think. I mean, there is medical, which I agree, but uh, they changed the weight size. They changed, there's an, a restriction on the uh, uh, allotment or like allowance of the uh, medical, the uh, substance or medical patients. I mean, medicine, I should say, for the medical patients. They're... There's a uh, you know a lot to the dispensing side that isn't really known out there that people don't realize and you know it can cause stress on both sides for the patients and the workers so I feel like it's very important for education and awareness to be you know somewhere for that to be and I you know again thank you for creating this or starting this because not only in black and cannabis we need just awareness in in this Ohio medical cannabis industry period. To, so that patients can understand how it works because either rules need to be changed or um, you know more people need to speak up because I feel like with all the certain conditions, you can't really 
limit them to the same amount of uh, uh, medicine that may be required because you don't know for different the the medicine affects people differently. So I, as a like rule or the restrictions for the program, I just don't quite always you know agree with some everything that they have in the law. So. I'm willing to use my voice, my story, you know, and all a lot of, you know, I've seen a lot of stories from people that even, you know, the allowance that they do have, they realizing that, you know, all right, this, this plan is way better than these substances I've been receiving from, you know, uh, doctors. So I just want, you know, it's time for the Ohio and the world to know. Yeah. Know. And that's, I mean, I think that's part of us, you know, I think uh, obviously being black men in cannabis and black in cannabis, we've been demonized. So, you know, I feel like, you know, it's kind of counterculture what we're doing now uh, in terms of, you know, uh, white America. But this is what these are the things that we have to do to disseminate the information uh, and just keep coming uh, together um, and using these resources because we do have resources. Um, but it's just putting them together. Uh, just a quick question. Does anybody have like a directory of um, uh, cannabis uh, businesses? Has anybody formulated that yet? I have one. You got one? Yes, of every uh, company in the state that's either been awarded a license and awarded the opportunity to um, actually operate because there's a lot of companies that were awarded license that are not operating. Right. Uh, I have all the information that anyone would need, honestly. Okay. And I thank you for joining, uh, joining us because I think you can be very valuable, obviously, in, in this movement as well. Is there a way that we can access that or is there a way you can send it to us? I can share it. Okay. I uh, can, uh, if someone, if, you want to give me your uh, email address and then I could disseminate it yeah, I'll go ahead. Uh, to you. Uh, and I think, you know, also uh, just gathering resources, numbers, right? I mean, it's all about numbers. So we need to show like how many black people are actually working in the industry, um, ownership, you know, so we can show the percentages and show, you know, the inequalities because, you know, we live in a data driven society now. So I feel like showing the numbers and having great representation, um, you know, from both sides will, you know, help us be able to push things in law in, uh, you know, Juanita's case. Um, that's where we need to go, really. Uh, Roger, did you have anything else to say? And I wanted to give Kevin some time too. Um, I mean, if anyone had any questions, would, um, I'm willing to answer those, but um, you're offering far as, tours too, right? You guys are offering tours. Yeah, I, that's what I was going to follow up too. Any any questions? But if, if any no questions, uh, anytime in, anyone would like to come see a tour of the facility, processing facility, you can definitely reach out to myself or Mr. Bill or Jeff or Peg. There's some of the owners too. She's a, a woman owner. And basically my email, I'll leave that in the chat and contact info as well. But it's uh, broderick at com, And then my contact number is 419-819-7818. And yeah, I'm just, we'd be glad to share uh, with anyone how this uh, medicine, natural medicine is made and, and actually, you know, made at a black owned facility. It's, it's not really out there and known out there. But we need people to know so that, you know, you can support medicine 
that's actually helping the community as well. So it's not like in, in so many ways, not just one way. Yeah, I actually, I definitely want to come and do a tour. So um, I'm going to give you a shout after this. All right. Well, appreciate that, man. I'll write that in there now. You get, and everyone else, you have a, have a blessed one. Also, just know that one more thing, I, I am a sickle cell warrior. So like I said, I'm, I'm a patient and, and uh, like it's not just a, it's a, a hidden dis disability. So I also want to help spread awareness for that too within the, that's a, like a, a black illness that affects the black community mostly too. So I'm trying to use cannabis as well to help, you know, show, share my story at how, how benefit or beneficial it can be. Uh, Cause you know, I'm able to work a full-time job and I went to school and everything. I'm not letting it stop me. So, and you know, um, Doc Bridget definitely did some speaking on sickle cell and uh, cannabis and CBD and how it can be quite beneficial. So, I would think you know, absolutely. make sure re reach, yeah, make sure I would love up. absolutely. Thanks, Solomon. Um, I would love to have a further conversation about that. I try to kind of work with the local sickle cell associations, and I've done some work down in Cincinnati where. You know, Salva and I have, have met up and, and met with them down there. Um, but the possibilities of cannabis and sickle cell have been suppressed so much. Um, and it's such a great opportunity for patients. But because of the stigma, it's really been held back. So I would love to uh, kind of further that conversation as well um, to get it out into the sickle cell community as a viable option and make sure that their doctors are aware that this is something that can help and they don't need to be dismissed from their pain management just because they're using cannabis as an option. Right now, a lot of the research has shown that um, nearly 70% of sickle cell patients have either tried or continue to use cannabis as part of their pain management. It's just that the pain management doctors do not want to acknowledge it. So um, we should definitely talk a little bit more about what we could do there. And just also to her point, and once again, that's a big part of the African-American community is sickle cell. Um, so this is like a big thing that would be very beneficial to really get the education out there further, you know, uh, specifically for, for the, the black community. Uh, if I may piggyback to that. Um, there's a physician, Dr. Surrender Nerevetla, that is uh, doing a great deal of research on salt, just table salt in general. And I think this is an opportunity to clearly see that, you know, as African-Americans, our disease process, it's uh, different and that needs to be addressed especially with cannabis and the qualifying conditions that are being allotted on their particular list. And it has to be specific in physi like physiological approach because we have different disease processes due to, you know, 400, you know, years of, uh, you know, subjugation. So it all needs to be addressed. And I think uh, Dr. Williams has a phenomenal platform and I'd like to actually get her connected with Dr. Nara Vetla so she can see the work that we're doing in the uh, SALT because obviously SALT uh, is a precursor for blood pressure and we're at a higher uh, predisposition, uh, predisposer for high blood pressure and hypertension 
in our community, and that's killing a great deal of people. And cannabis can help with that as well. well I, I completely agree with you. And a lot of the work that I've been doing lately is about the life balance, that people look at cannabis or CBD as, you know, this is, you know, the wonder drug, which don't get me wrong, it does amazing things. But if you're not incorporating other life balance, you're working against the possibilities of what it can do. And so um, a lot of the work that I've been doing the last couple months is really kind of putting more energy behind other aspects of health. Um, I'm working with a uh, fitness and um, nutritionist and we're adding her into our team simply to be able to talk to patients about, yes, now that you have your CBD or your cannabis, what are you doing about your diet? What are you doing about your fitness? Because it is a tool to wellness, it is not the only tool to wellness, and unless you work synergistically with other aspects of your health, you can only go so far. So I would love to have that conversation. Yeah, that's huge. Uh, you know, I'm a former uh, Division One athlete. I tried out for the NFL in 2013, and I've used cannabis pretty much since I was like 17, 18 for pain management. Um, and one of the things I realized being a high level athlete is that, you know, everything is about holistic, you know, approach, whether it's nutrition, your diet, uh, working out, you know, sleep, all those things. And cannabis literally just became part of my regimen where, you know, for training purposes, for recovery purposes, for relaxation, um, and, and pain management. And so I think a lot of times we look for these you know, drugs or these medical things that are just going to be a one cure all. And we have to get out of that mindset that one thing is going to cure us. We need, you know, our food that we're eating, less salt, less sugar, um, less, you know, saturated fat, less processed foods, because um, those are the things that are killing us internally. Um, you know, and so I think obviously, you know, cannabis allows us to do a more holistic uh, lifestyle approach where we can say even growing cannabis is healing, right? You know, being out in the fields um, or or in the inside. So, you know, I think just the lifestyle we really have to uh, showcase people that hey, people smoking cannabis don't just sit on the couch and are just lazy. There's a whole lifestyle behind it. Um, and so, you know, I think conversations like this, conferences like this, you know, will help that. And hopefully, we can just continue to get the messaging out. Uh, Kevin, are you there? Wanted to get you in here. Yeah, I'm here. All right, cool. All right, so we got Kevin Green from the Cleveland School of Cannabis uh, joining us from uh, the other side. Uh, so if you want, Kevin, you could just go ahead and introduce yourself, what you do, what are you guys doing over at Cleveland School of Cannabis, uh, and go from there. Uh, yeah, good morning, everybody. Um, uh, Gerald, thank you. As you said, uh, my name is uh, Kevin Green. I'm the vice president and, uh, and owner of the uh, Cleveland School of Cannabis. Uh, my business partner is Tyrone Russell, another black African-American male, um, and Austin Briggs, a uh, white male. Uh, we came together uh, to really create a, a platform, an opportunity to uh, develop the workforce uh, for the cannabis industry. Um, in the cannabis industry, understanding, um, as, especially as the Midwest and the East Coast goes, uh, that this side of, uh, you know, America really didn't have the culture um, and the the culture, I would say the culture, the competence and true for the grace to uh, allow uh, 
uh, individuals to really cultivate their cannabis career uh, without, you know, true pro prosecution, right? Um, that's why most so many people have left uh, these areas and gone to the West Coast. Um, so even though cannabis legislation um, wasn't, you know, fully where it is now um, on the West Coast, uh, there was a culture around that it, they weren't really, uh, you know, they weren't as strict as they are, you know, to the black market. Uh, that was going on here, obviously, in Ohio, specifically the Midwest and the East Coast states. Uh, so we knew that there was going to be a huge gap in the talent pool that was available. Also, uh, we knew that it would have been a sad situation if Ohioans and others uh, that are residents of their states as uh, cannabis is moving forward, uh, that there wasn't a real We lose you, Kevin. I think Kevin's Kevin's in Mexico right now, so he said he was going to be a little, a little delayed. So let's see if he'll come back in. We lost you, big guy. I'm gonna let Sol Solomon go ahead and jump in there since you're here. We got some black men in cannabis. We're gonna let y'all speak. Right. All right. Let me first say thanks to Gerald for uh, adding me into the <clears throat> panel discussion. Um, I am Solomon Yeamy. I'm from Dayton, Ohio. Um, I have a company called Green Ideas and Wellness, which uh, started out two years ago as a advocacy and consultancy and brand marketing company um, for cannabis entities. Specifically, I was trying to work specifically with the Black and African American uh, businesses. So I started out doing some consultancies with uh, Have a Heart, along with uh, with uh, Reverend uh, Damon Lynch uh, III. And pretty much um, also I'm a graduate of The Ohio State University. And uh, once Ohio switched over uh, in 2017. Oh, okay. You know what? Yeah, yeah. Why don't we let him go ahead and finish since he is actually in uh, another in another country. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> so let's let Kevin get back to it. Hey, I apologize about that. Thanks. No, no worries, no worries, no worries. Well, the funny thing is, man, you know, everything was solid for a whole hour and 10 minutes until I decided to talk. You start talking. <laughs> All uh, right, that's how that's how the world works. You know, I mean, I think that's a a, a perfect segue to think about the industry in itself, right? Uh, there's a lot of things that are systematically against us being able to access it, and we have to stay vigilant and we have to stay focused, right? Uh, we can't give up, and we can't just say, "Oh, they just don't want us a part of it." They don't, but that doesn't mean that we don't have to continue to strive. Um, and I think that's what everyone is doing here. That's on this call is continuing to fight. Though we knew, we all know what we've all had to do. Uh, to be in the positions we are right now, and the fight is is still something that we're we're, we're still a part of uh, to really create equity um, and growth uh, for uh, African Americans in the field. Um, so, kind of where I was, you know, talking about creating that workforce, we understood that that was going to be needed. Um, also, really, you know, for us as well as being an ancillary business, you know, like I brought her talking about Benelis, we have a few students at Benelis. Uh, you know, we've uh, talking Hanley, uh, done tours, done educational things with Benelieves as well. So, you know, met with Peg, met with Bill, um, you know, and obviously, you know, Dr. Bridger on this call as well as a professor at the school. Uh, we've done some events and things as well with uh, 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 State Representative Juanita Brown. Um, I met Gerald uh, uh, maybe a year ago when we were opening our Columbus campus. Uh, so for us, it's really also creating a platform. 
uh, for uh, other individuals, um, and especially individuals of color, and then most specifically Black individuals and African Americans, uh, to really be able to showcase and build relationships within the industry. Uh, CUC looks at ourselves as really a, a platform and an access to continue to create um, the, what the end industry actually is and to continue to go break down the stigmas, right? Uh, education is key. You know, we are dealing with a not only um, a medical product um, that is that continues to show uh, great, uh, 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 continues to have great success in how it's helping patients have a better quality of life. And I love the one Dr. Bridget talked about that. This is a part of the holistic regimen that you bring in, right? Um, you know, life is all about creating balance and that's what cannabis does, right? Um, it, it, uh, you know, all the different things in the cannabinoids is, you know, and the endocannabinoid system is all about bringing, you know, your body to homeostasis, you know, creating balance within the body. And that's why it affects everyone in so different ways. And that's why it's such a, you know, such a powerful medicine that's able to help so many vast of people um, you know, be able to regulate and create that quality of life. So um, in our space, we've been very, very focused, you know, since the dawn of our uh, school in the sense of how do we close the gap? Um, now, even with being an ancillary business and literally we make zero dollars from the cannabis industry, um, our students uh, pay um, out of their pockets tuition. We get no government funding. We get no government aid uh, to be able to do this. So with that situation here, there's one thing going on. We know that our students are dedicated not only to themselves, to the industry, but also to their education, making sure that they're coming out qualified. Uh, we provide uh, two uh, type of programs. One is a single major program, which we have five different majors, uh, ranging from uh, cannabis horticulture, um, extraction, hemp and CBD, cannabis dispensary, and then cannabis research studies, which we call our medical application of cannabis. Um, also then we have, uh, which is uh, each of those are 150, 150 clock hours. That is that at that 150 clock hours um, is the most robust cannabis education provided on the marketplace. We're also a state approved school um, uh, uh, who's governed by the Ohio Board of Career Schools and Colleges. And we're in the process right now of going for national accreditation. Uh, so we will be the first national accreditation school for cannabis um, in the country. Uh, so we're, it's a three-year process, and we're, we're one year left out of that process to come, go on and complete that process. And I say that to say is that uh, I think Solomon um, said that earlier, is that the fact that we need to show the fact that we're working at the highest standards. Uh, so a school that is run and operated and owned uh, by two African-Americans are pushing the cannabis space to running at the top level. You see that there's a lot of cannabis education on there. I've seen this one ad, you know, from literally, I'm going to say the name, you know, the Cannabis Training University that literally says no homework, no test, showing a picture of just a bunch of bloods, come and get certified in cannabis. That is a low standard in the sense of what this entire thing is about. And that's the type of stuff that appalls us because setting that type of low standard around our industry, one, can, continues to perpetuate this, the, the stigmas and the taboos about our industry and creates a low bar of it. Uh, so we're all about raising the bar, raising the standard for not only how we do what we do, but also everyone that's a part of what, we, uh, a part of what we're doing, our students, our faculty, and our partners as well. Um, our executive program is a combination of all the top majors, uh, their core classes, so it's 300 clock hours. To give you a little bit of uh, understanding, uh, a two-year degree, associate's degree is 900 clock hours. So we're one-third of that um, in a sense of our educational practices. 
Um, outside of that, when we noticed, uh, taking a look at even traditional uh, institutions and uh, Tyrone and myself, Tyrone specifically worked in higher education for 15 years before we transitioned um, ourselves to entrepreneurs. Uh, we run a marketing firm as well, all black owned black marketing firm, six black, six black men came together, uh, took their skill sets and started a firm um, in 2012. We got to the cannabis industry in 2016 when we started school in 2017. Um, and we've been looking at to say, how do we go ahead and break down more of the roadblocks that higher education has always really had up that keeps more um, uh, people of color, specifically African-Americans outside of uh, these opportunities. So even at the top universities in the country that have million dollar, uh, millions, a hundred million dollar endowment still has, uh, the, still has, still has, is still having struggle being able to diversify their student population. So what we did was understanding that the federal government is not giving us any aid in that, which is what was uh, developed in the sense of subsidies for schools to allow more people to get access to education. We developed our own subsidies. So we developed our own student loan program um, in a sense of that. Our student loans range from 3% to 10%. Average out, most of our student loans are at 6%. The government gives student loans at 8%. Understand also the situations that happens when you're in student, uh, student loan debt. Anybody, anybody could just talk to anybody that's been in the higher education system that has student loan debt, understands how that debt is tripling and quadrupling after you actually leave school, right? In the sense of the, how it's been farmed out uh, to these profit companies that are taking advantage, especially of uh, poor African-American uh, men and women. Um, um, in America. Then we also developed our, our scholarship program. So we have a women's and, scholar, women's and cannabis scholarship. We have a minority scholarship that's specifically focused around people of color. Uh, we have a veteran scholarship and then we have a resilient scholarship which is focused around uh, a low socioeconomic uh, kind of scholarship in the sense of that population. Uh, we then launched a scholarship with Crazy Bone uh, from Bone Thugs and Harmony uh, to do a scholarship focused on people of color from the Glenville community um, in Cleveland. A uh, young African and female just won that scholarship um, and she just started school last week. Well, this year, this past week um, in, in the sense of her first week of school. And then now I'm currently working uh, with Bridget and others on an equity scholarship um, to continue to grow in the sense of how do we go ahead and raise more money so we can specifically, and, and, I, and I always like to say this, specifically focus on the African-American and people of color community. Um, and I will say our full BIPOC community, which is, you know, I mean, is our black indigenous and people of color community. Um, and having a focus on that, I, I like to always continue to say African-Americans with a heightened focus due to the fact that I feel that every time there is a focus or an initiative that's focused on African-Americans, there's a big uproar. But there's so many other segments within our community when they're focused on, it's applauded. Um, and that always tells me there's so, there's so much greatness behind the black community being able to advance and do more. And there's something to always continue to suppress that. Uh, so it's very, very important for us to continue to be direct in our approach, direct in what our, our, what our mission is and what we're trying to do, uh, because we need to normalize black excellence in all spaces. Um, it's not just about creating spaces for ourselves. It's to normalize black faces, black success in all spaces because that's what's happened in white space. A success has been normalized in white space, right? And that's where a lot of white supremacy um, when we look about the injustices come from, right? It's the normalization of when you think about, I always use this uh, term, this analogy, when you think about, you know, young girl leaves a small town, moves to the big city, for some odd reason, your first mind thinks of a young white woman. 
Um, that story is, is, the, is the story of many, many young African-American people you know, that have done that and been able to move themselves out of small towns, poverty, and move and create success. And we need to normalize that in all spaces. And that's especially important in the cannabis industry because we've pushed the culture forward. We've made the culture popular. Um, you know, we are the backbone of the entire industry. Um, and then to continue to be demonized by the industry, but uh, allowing our white counterparts to become billionaires and millionaires off the industry is a complete, dis is pleasing, complete injustice to us when we specifically just look at, our, our, at this industry in itself. Uh, so the Cleveland School of Cannabis is very, very focused. Myself and the leadership is very, very focused on how do we continue uh, to create equity within the space. Um, we're partnering with everyone across the board that we possibly can to continue to create a voice um, and also create the platform and create partnerships. Um, I do believe, as a uh, 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 state rep talked about earlier, the hemp. I believe the hemp is the is the is the gateway for us. Um, the one thing that I want to say before ending really is the fact that THC cannabis is very 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 cool. At the end of the day, right? It has the cool factor. You know, when you start talking about hemp, it doesn't have the cool factor um, in itself. Obviously, THC cannabis and where we are right now, that's where most of our research is. So we know that how impactful it has been to the medical community. We know that CBD right now is, you know, the hottest thing and you're seeing it everywhere as well. And we're going to continue to see acronyms come down the road, right? You know, uh, you know, that as we continue to go in and we continue to um, um, uh, do research on all the cannabinoids that are within the cannabis plant and how it works within the human body and how it's paired with other agents as well to get a better delivery system. Hemp is going to be huge. It's a low-hanging fruit because it's a low barrier to entry. We need to really think about the textile side of hemp and what's going to happen as we start to transition our textile market. Textiles are going to be way bigger than in the consumer market than it is going to be THC cannabis. Mm -hmm. When everything in your room that you're looking at in the space you're right now starts to be made from some type of hemp composite, that is powerful. You're talking industry. You're talking infinite money. You know, even the actual structures made of hempcrete. Right. Right. You're talking hempcrete. You're talking about clothing. Uh, Levi's right now has figured out how to turn. Um, uh, uh, hemp and use it for their denim to get it soft, right? Because everybody's into the soft, stretchy jeans right now. So they have uh, voted in 2022 that they're going to start to make 30% of all their jeans will be made by hemp. So if you know one of the largest denim manufacturers in the world has figured that out and starts to transition, this is going to start to roll very, very fast. And what's going to happen like anything, if we take a look specifically in Ohio and we look at the manufacturing market specifically associated to the auto market, when we talk about the auto market and the loss of jobs when a ford factory shuts down the ripple effect is not that ford factory it's all the ancillary businesses that supplies parts bolts and things that 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 ford factory uses there's people makes millions of dollars off one bolt that goes into an engine one bolt you can make one bolt you can make a million you can make millions of dollars and we have to think about the cannabis industry in that way especially when we think about the textile product because as we start to manufacture this and this starts to move forward and think about governmental contracts and all these things that start to happen there's going to be a need to be a source for raw material and we can perfectly position ourselves and the reason why i say it's not sexy is because there's a lot of stigma for us and a lot of hurt that we're still going through understanding that when we think about cultivation we think about hemp there's a direct correlation to you know slavery and a sense of what we've done in sense of working agriculture. So African-Americans have moved far away from agriculture because of the disconnect we wanted from that. A lot of the migration that came to the Midwest was from people from the South leaving agriculture and moving you know, to the Midwest and the Northern states to be able to take advantage of manufacturing jobs.
we need to make, you know, growing sexy again. We need to get back our hands in. There's a, there's a sense of healing for us there, um, but there's also a, second, a sense of economic gain and ownership. Um, so I really do urge everyone to, to think about collective impact. How do we work together? How do we understand that we're not in competition with each other? Uh, because that's what creates us to work in silos and separate each other from ourselves um, and take advantage and not ha being able to the ability to take advantage of many opportunities. There's not many even licenses that are in the state of Ohio when we think about THC licenses that are not partnerships. Our white counterparts are partnering, mm -hmm. right. Right. doing it by themselves. Yeah. We need to understand group economics. We need to understand co collective impact. And uh, you can definitely uh, depend on CSC uh, to continue to be a platform, a partner in how we move things forward um, in the industry. Uh, because again, for us, success for us looks like is our students moving in and doing things, which we've already seen. We have over 60% job placement rate. We're seeing students move all across the country because they're getting opportunities um, to do that. And it's not just, and, and it's a beautiful thing to see. It's beautiful to see a young black man come into our school, take advantage of a, an opportunity, um, take advantage of a grant, go to our school, get a job, and, and, and then now leading a facility in other states. You know, and this is, this is happening as we speak right now. So, you know, continuing to see that. We want to see that for all of our students. So, and, and we definitely want to make sure that we're seeing that, especially for the African-American community and our BIPOC community to take advantage of this. Uh, because the one thing I always say is we cannot lose twice on weed. We lost the first time with criminal justice in the sense of what was done. And if we lose this time around, this is going to hurt more. Um, and I love what we're talking about in this call, talking uh, about our, uh, you know, our religious community uh, within the black community, obviously. Uh, a lot of it is there because they know the pain. They were there in the 70s, the 80s, early 90s. They saw what happened to their families, you know, directly and indirectly. They saw what happened to their community. Uh, so just like when we think about African-Americans agriculture and the pain that we have for the slavery, there's a lot of people that are living right now that saw the pain of what the war on drugs has done to our community, and they cannot disconnect that pain. Um, it's very, very needed for us to have more intergenerational conversations, build bridges, and educate our older generation to support the younger generation in their advancement in the cannabis industry and our older generation to think about this and how they can help themselves from a medical standpoint. We understand what's going on in the black community when it comes to health, um, especially when you get over 40, 50, we understand what coronavirus has done and why we are more susceptible to death and higher and, and higher hospitalization through the fact of our underlying conditions that are almost um, uh, you know, almost expected in the black community as we get older. Um, and cannabis can not only be a great economic opportunity to transition wealth and create wealth, but also to be a great opportunity uh, for people of color, um, especially our elders uh, that are putting so much work to start to have a better quality of life um, as they're into the best years of their life of knowing so much so um, I really appreciate everyone uh, that's on this call. Uh, I really appreciate each other, you know, bring this together. Um, and as I said, um, CSC here to continue collective impact um, and create to create whatever platform that we need to create uh, to continue to help advance uh, not only the cannabis industry but specifically have a focus on how we create um, opportunities on the collective impact for African Americans in the industry. That's amazing. Thanks, Kevin, uh, for for all that information, man. You hit it all on the head. I mean, I, I love one of the slogans that I had on on one of the bands, and it says, "Education builds nations." Um, and obviously in our community, we don't gravitate towards traditional education. Um, and I think that, you know, hinders us, you know, uh, I know I went through, you know, four years of college undergrad, um, at a, at a 
predominantly white university. Um, and you can just see, you know, like we say, they, the recruiting, they recruit well for sports. So they get all the black athletes for sports, but we're not recruiting none of the regular students, you know, for the student body, you know, and you see that across the board, you know, nationwide. But I think, you know, having a school like Cleveland School of Cannabis that is specifically focused on cannabis industry at all different levels, job placement, career development, uh, and being black owned is huge. You know, because it showcases that we do have that excellence uh, and that we do strive for excellence. We're not just trying to be, you know, the consumers, the patients. We want, you know, excellence and leadership. Um, and as we can see from our country, I think our country has been hindered by leadership in high level positions um, and having the lack of representation of black leaders to challenge white leaders. You know, I mean, if we if we're going to be in competition, male versus male, we need black males up here, too. So. Um, I think that's huge. And that's why I wanted Kevin on, Solomon on, all you guys to really join. Um, anybody have any questions for Kevin uh, before he leaves? He's in Mexico right now, so I want him to be able to enjoy his time. Um, we're thankful. Right. No question. Just wanted to say to him, yo, thanks for making the uh, CSC a reality. Um, one of our co-founders is Allie Reeves. Um, and, you know, she's a graduate of... Uh, CSC. I mean, you're making waves not just for the men, but for the women as well. And they're starting to truly lead uh, in the Ohio cannabis field here, um, such as Nicole Ross, such as Ali Reeves, such as a Bridget, you know, Dr. Bridget. Um, you know, we have some, Juanita, we have some top tier people that understand what it is to push forth a community. And I'm just really glad that um, we all are kind of like, tight knit in, in this aspect where, you know, we, we definitely all have uh, worked with each other, network with each other and bring each other in when it's time to uh, make it happen. So yeah, I, I applaud uh, the Cleveland School of Cannabis for everything that they've been doing. For sure. And like Kevin said, partnerships and collaborations are huge. Um, you know, we don't have to do everything alone. Um, we don't have to, you know, we have to get out of the mindset of, you know, not pulling up our brothers or not, you know, partnering and collaboration. You know, I've been in white spaces the majority of my life and I know a lot of their corporations and businesses, whether it's family owned or whatever, everybody is coming together. They're pulling their resources together, money, uh, career opportunities, and they're, and they're, you know, disseminating that through their community and we have to do the same thing. So. Like Juanita said, it only costs $600 for a hemp license. You know, when we're talking about industry and you're talking about paper, you're talking about jeans, you're talking about cleaning the air, cleaning the soil. Um, you're talking about, you know, a bolt, you know, that could make you a millionaire. Um, I'm training a client. I do some sports performance training and I have a lady that's in Upper Arlington and she owns a caster uh company and casters are the wheels that go on the bottom of anything that you're moving in industry where her company is worth like 22 million dollars from just selling these wheels you know and so that's something in the industry we got to think about a wheel to cart you know products uh, um, something to hold the products um so there's just so many ancillary opportunities too in the industry where you don't even have to touch the cannabis plant um, i started athletes in cannabis as a research and development education platform uh, where I'll be selling merchandise. I'm not even touching the cannabis plant or selling it. Um, so you have opportunities like that. Solomon, marketing, um, you know, so there's a lot of these different, you know, opportunities in this space that 
you know, even if you don't use cannabis, you can still come in, get a job. I mean, we're talking about high unemployment rates right now. Um, so job opportunities in the industry um, are just going to continue to grow. And, and so I think opportunities like this to come together and develop with you guys uh, is largely important because all of you guys are the only ones I'm really seeing. You know, you see some people, um, but we talk about social media. We talk about um you know, really doing the work on the ground. Uh, you know, there's only a few people that we're really seeing push the messaging out there and really get their hands dirty. So I just wanted to say thank you to all you guys, uh, Solomon, Bridget, you guys. I mean, I see y'all all the time, Kevin. I'm um, seeing y'all all the time doing great work, Cannabis Can. Uh, and so I appreciate you guys. I'm gonna go ahead and go to Solomon so we could finish up what you were talking about. Yeah, just to, uh, like I said, just to reiterate, um, Green Ideas and Wellness is kind of like in the vein of ancillary businesses. I took it upon myself uh, a couple years ago to kind of come forward with Green Ideas and Wellness as a consultancy, advocacy, and brand marketing company. Um, and through my uh, graduating from The Ohio State University, um, a lot of the legislative process is written with our, our uh, law school and policy school. So um, I'm part of the, uh, the Ohio State um, uh, Cannabis Club and just, you know, met a lot of the folks that we even have in this particular uh, panel through that. And basically just got to the point of where I was doing some co consultancies with uh, Doc Bridget. I was doing some consultancies with uh, Have a Heart. Um, and it came to, uh, I also do blog, blogging, like video blogging, talking about cannabis and showcasing some of the different companies. I have a, a blog show called Advocating with the Best in the Biz. And that started out as dealing with the businesses here in Ohio. You can definitely go online YouTube and see some of the past episodes. Um, but when I started speaking with uh, Doc Bridget, uh, she had formulated the cannabis can idea. And uh, what happened was uh, her and Allie, who are the co-founders, they reached out to me and said, hey, we have this thing going on. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to read actually uh, some information directly from our uh, release just so that you have a full understanding and scope as to what we've done in the last two years. So uh, as far as cannabis can, uh, 47 mainstream and cannabis industry businesses, nonprofit organizations, and influencers are partners in Cannabis Can, which is a statewide nonprofit project of Green Harvest Health Community Foundation with 2020 campaigns to raise funds for Ohio food banks, provide nonpartisan voting information for general election, and recycle cannabis industry e-waste and packaging. So we've uh, we've done some great things in, in the midst of this time. Um, our freshman year successfully submitted its three-pronged mission from Cannabis Can, which is to strengthen Ohio communities by bringing people together, fighting hunger, and protecting the planet Earth. Um, it was founded in 2019 by Dr. Bridget Williams, Green Harvest Health, Ali Reeves of Midwest Canna Women, and myself, Solomon Yamey of Green Ideas and Wellness. The organization was created to help those in need, foster connections within the cannabis industry, and build relationships between Ohio cannabis businesses and the communities they serve. Um, Dr. Williams seeks to reduce the stigma and uh, she'll speak more about that when, when she speaks on it. Um, 2019, we had a successful holiday food drive launched um, 
and, and cannabis can we collected half a ton of non-perishable foods uh, and goods for the Cincinnati Free Store Food Bank, the Greater Cleveland Food Bank, and the Columbus Area Mid-Ohio Food Bank. And our 2020, uh, since the pandemic happened, our 2020 virtual food drive, Cannabis Can't Fight Hunger, has generated more than $5,000 since 4-20-2020. And these funds raised entirely through the grassroots efforts helped Ohio food banks acquire and distri distribute $45,000 worth of groceries equivalent to 20,000 meals for the Ohioans facing food insecurity in the great Ohio, greater Ohio region. Um, 79 donations ranging from $5 to $525 make up the current total with the giving campaign for the holidays still to come. Donation pages will be active throughout the remainder of 2020 and links to them are available on the Cannabis Can website, CannabisCanOhio.org. Um, our holiday virtual food drop fundraising target is $2,000 by midnight, December 31st, 2020. Um, Cannabis Can partners and supporters include 154 individual, individuals and organizations who invest time, energy, and resources to show how cannabis can enrich Ohio. In addition to fight hunger, a nonpartisan voter information campaign for the November 3rd election coming up is part of our work to strengthen Ohio communities. And the Cannabis Can Strengthen Ohio and Cannabis Can Vote campaign includes election deadlines, links to the Ohio Secretary of State voting resources, and to county board elections information on social media and uh, Cannabis Can websites. Now our Cannabis Can Recycle, which is what we're in right now, uh, is our third initiative launched in 2020. We distributed a four-question public survey that received 82% of responses from individuals who self-identified as Ohio Medical Marijuana Control Program patients or caregivers. 80% um, believe there is a recycling problem with cannabis, marijuana, and CBD packaging. 95% are willing to support and participate in a recycling program for Ohio uh, if it was implemented. Um, we have to thank, uh, let's see here. This effort has been supported from state representative for Ohio House District 12, Juanita Brent. And we're very gracious that she wrote the letter for us and definitely helped push uh, the legislative side of what we're doing with Cannabis Can so that folks are becoming more aware of the uh, great opportunities that we have to do things in the community here in Ohio. One thing we want to uh, stress is we're talking about black uh, high end uh, doing things at a high level. Um, what we've done with Cannabis Can, we, we actually gave a big check to uh, the Greater Cleveland Food Banks. Um, what we've done is something that folks even in medicinal and non-medicinal but legal states are not doing, which is giving back to the community um, through charitable contributions. And, you know, this is a Black-owned um, nonprofit. We also got nonprofit status uh, this year. So we're really trying to uh, use this platform for everyone that wants to uh, build within the community, um, the ancillary businesses that want to build within the community, um, you know, it's just been a very uh, rewarding thing to be able to give back to the community. Um, 
And like we said, uh, I know Kevin was saying how we need to show that uh, that image of positive and things that are working in the black community. And what we've done right now is definitely something com you know, that, that should be commended. Uh, I will say we did give that check and we really didn't get the pub from the Greater Cleveland Food Bank when it came to speaking about it out in the public. I'm not upset with them with that. You know, it is what it is. But once again, we have to show that the stigma of what's going on doesn't follow the true narrative of what we're doing. So, you know, um, I definitely want to give uh, Bridget some time to speak as well on what we've been doing. But um, like I said, this is, a, this is a great platform to be able to uh, network and speak properly about what we've been doing. So hopefully that gives you a good uh, synopsis on what Cannabis Can is. We're gonna continue to do things. Um, green Ideas and Wellness, um, I've moved into my uh, interviews. We're still gonna be doing interviews with a lot of the ancillary businesses, but I moved into doing my artist interviews, dealing in wellness and dealing with some of the different legends and music and artistry. So. Just doing a few different things and trying to uh go ahead toot you know. your own horn, big dog. <laughs> yeah, we can't do it like that, but you know, we're definitely gonna <laughs> we're definitely gonna make sure that, you know, we we have to toot our own horn at this point because they're not gonna do it for us and we have to show them that hey, you know, you can you you, you can lose out on the things that we're doing by not paying attention. So, like I said, I just want to give it up to uh, Gerald for putting this together and pass it to my, my great partner, uh, Dr. Bridget Williams. Um, thanks, Any Solomon. It's, oh, yeah, I was just going to say, it's one thing to do the work. And and again, he, he's not giving himself enough credit for his incredible contribution to what Cannabis Can is now. Um, but it's one thing to hear, you know, to do the work. It's another thing to hear it being spoken and and, um, and how, how far we've come in a very short period of time. But yeah, Solomon is not giving himself enough credit for how he took um, a small idea that, you know, I had during the holiday season and with him and along with um, Allie Reeves really blew it into something that was greatly needed in the cannabis industry to um, not only serve the communities that have been serving us out of gratitude, but also to bring together the cannabis industry businesses, particularly small businesses as well as large, but to be able to work together in a collaborative sense instead of a competitive sense. So even in, I often say with the group that, you know, I, I have my own CBD brand and even if I wanted to serve every single person in Ohio, I would not be able to do that. So there's nothing wrong with there being multiple brands or multiple marketing or multiple um, different areas of the cannabis industry. We can work together. Everything doesn't have to be directly in competition, but we can lift each other up. And particularly pulling together these Black-owned businesses and lifting each other up that much higher. So um, yeah, he, he's not giving himself enough credit for for what he contributes to our progress. Well, thank you for saying that. And I say the same to you, you know, it, it's a collective thing that we have to make uh, to make this work. It's a collective thing. I lived in California from 2001 till about 2004. 
And I was there at the beginnings of the medical uh, cannabis in California. And that gave me like a real, uh, you know, education on where Ohio can go to, but we're still, uh, we're still really working hard on, on just getting that blueprint done correctly because the the Ohio Medical Marijuana Program is a great program, but there are still a lot of things that have to be changed to make it be a competitive program so that folks do not go to Michigan and surrounding states to uh, get their their medicine. So, you know, and, and we're just trying to make sure that people know that Ohio is right at the pulse of what everything is when it comes to the cannabis lifestyles uh, for medicinal purposes, as well as just the ancillary lifestyles with CBDs and hemp and all of that. So, you know, it is what it is. That's awesome. Yeah, and uh, to piggyback, like, I think we we really have to um, take charge of collaboration and partnerships. You know, I think everybody kind of, you know, we live, I mean, capitalism is all about competition, but, you know, we live in a space where cannabis can be that kind of bridge you know where we can pull together our different skill sets you know obviously you know dr bridget having a cbd brand being a doctor cannabis can uh work being a professor i mean she's literally in every kind of facet you know so people i mean the cannabis industry allows for that i know roderick or broderick broderick has done everything from the dispensing side to obviously the processing side now so that you know, this industry doesn't just cap you at one position where when you come together and you partner, we can pull our resources together, just like you guys did with Cannabis Can, uh, and make a huge imprint uh, socially too, because I think that's also, you know, uh, a holistic plant. We have to get out of just, all right, we're gonna use it, we're gonna buy it, but how are we gonna use it to impact our community? You know, because obviously during COVID, we're still being hit the hardest. Um, We still are, you know, dying. Um, from it. So how can we use cannabis, this industry that is booming, gaining millions of dollars, um, and put that and rechannel that information, education, money, and resources uh, back into our communities, um, I think is huge. So I applaud you guys for taking that step on the nonprofit side. Um, you know, very creative uh, in how you guys have initiated the program. And um, you guys are obviously at the forefront of, of this program. So uh, thank you guys for uh, your genius and your collaboration and your leadership, um, because I think we need to do that as more as well as, you know, give our, you know, successful people their flowers while they're here, celebrate them, support them. Uh, and you guys are our leaders. You know, I'm 31, you know, so there's only so much life that I've lived compared to you guys. So I'm I'm sitting here learning and there's a lot of us that are willing to learn. We just need you guys to be in the forefront so we can see you and learn from you. So uh, thanks again for all you guys do. Uh, hey, uh, Solomon, go ahead and drop some. Who are, who are some of the artists that you've uh, connected with, worked with, comedians? Um, <laughs> I mean, uh, I, I guess he's alluding to uh, the uh, Dave Chappelle summer camp. Because <laughs> I, I, I was lucky and blessed enough to be part of the experiment that uh, Dave Chappelle had put together. So I've had some... Uh, great opportunities to meet some wonderful people in the music industry and the comedy uh, industry and just in just in general just great people we're in the midst of a pandemic so it was kind of like when we say summer camp it was literally us in a bubble COVID test all the time and I 
like I said, I've, I've ran into a few different people. I'll just say this. Uh, I'm not going to give away too much information, but I will say um, I have a uh, interview coming up soon with, uh, I will say this one because this is the first one, with Steve Arrington from the group Slave, uh, legendary funk, um, legendary funk, funk uh, uh, artist. Um, I, I'll say some of the other folks, I'm, I'm friends, good friends with like uh, Talib Kweli. I've, I've, when this summer came through, everybody that's a comedian came through Chris Rock, John Stewart, Trevor Noah, everybody, you know. You got pictures with everybody, man. It was just a unique experience. Well, you know, you got to understand, like, I was in entertainment before I was in uh, cannabis legislation and any of that kind of thing. Right. And so this was just somewhat of a pivot for me. But this particular summer, because of the pandemic, got me to be able to rekindle some friendships as well as make new ones. So you know just stay tuned it's going to be some things popping up here and there you know what i mean i don't want to give too much away but where are you where will you be releasing your interviews or are you gonna have uh, they'll, they'll be on they're, they're on youtube if you go on youtube and look up green ideas and wellness you can see some of the uh interviews that i've done in the past um, okay. awesome. yeah that's can you put your, so can you put yeah, your, i'll make sure that it's out there yeah can you put your contact information uh in the chat too uh yeah, i did actually oh, i did. did i sure did all right, my bad. And then uh, no, Dr. Uh, Bridget Williams, that's who I got my card from, my uh, medical card from. Um, and, you know, she blew me away with just education and then obviously uh, introducing it to our community uh, as, a, as a health benefit. Um, and I just want you to touch on, you know, some of the things that you're seeing and, you know, obviously ways that CBD uh, can really help our community. Dr. Bridget. Okay, I'm no longer driving, so uh, I apologize for um, being in my car, but I appreciate that, Gerald, and I appreciate the opportunity to have this invitation to, um, to speak and to speak to us in particular, which is important. Um, so my name is Dr. Bridget Williams. I am a um, medical cannabis physician and life coach and a family physician for nearly almost 20 years, um, most of my time spent at the Cleveland Clinic. And so a great deal of how I got here was out of my own frustration. Um, very early on in my career, I realized that despite what I learned as in medical school or even through residency, a lot of the work is I, there's a diagnosis and then there's a pill. And if you don't like the pill, I'll give you another pill. And if you don't like the side effects from that one, let's put another one on board. And I felt that I knew more. I felt that patients deserved more care and more empowerment than what you're just getting from this quick, easy approach to medicine that really came through because of the pharmaceutical industry kind of taking over. And so um, at one point I had some patients that were probably more frustrated than I was. And they were diabetics, hypertension, high cholesterol patients. And working together, I decided let's try something different. And so I first looked at how did they get the diagnosis? What happened in their life that kind of made a pivot to the point where they got to that point? And then really working on self-confidence and um, their self-esteem to understand that they could make a change that most of these people were told that there was nothing they could do and that they were stuck on the medications that they were prescribed. Um, at that point, we really looked at what, how we look at wellness. 
And most of the time, it is your age, your weight, your blood pressure, your blood sugar, your cholesterol levels, and we look at these numbers. And when the numbers are good, we say, look, be happy, you're well. Um, and when the numbers are bad, we say, oh, look, your numbers are bad. You should work on getting them lower or, or more correct. And that doesn't really motivate people. That is simply a, it is a scientific list of numbers that really don't make necessarily make a difference for others. And so what I worked on was how did my patient define wellness? And for each one of them, there was something different, whether it was um, wanting to make it to their daughter's graduation, to be able to walk down the street or down their city block without huffing and puffing. We worked really hard on finding something that moved them just beyond just being motivated for change, but actually determined to change. So they felt like they had no other choice but to do better. And so at that point, I started working on diet and exercise, and every about six, eight weeks, I was pulling medications for each one of them. Um, the hypertensive patient was on five blood pressure medications, told there was nothing he could do about it, and we got him down to one. Um, the diabetic patient, I basically took it off of her chart entirely, and the cholesterol patient has, had lost significant weight and was off medication as well. And then the job was really, how do we keep that going? So the diabetic patient in particular started talking about cannabis. And this was at a time where people were talking about a lot of homeopathic options. And so people were asking me about cinnamon and turmeric and you know different ways of making um, more herbal or more holistic options as far as their health. So when cannabis came up, I was like, hmm, you know, I don't know about that, but I always would do the research. And so when I did the research about cannabis, I was blown away by the medicinal um, aspects that were already out in, in, in research. Um, I was blown away by the possibilities of what it could offer to patients that were looking for another way of approaching their health. So I worked with this woman in particular to really help with titration and dosing and how she should approach cannabis while she was teaching me about cannabis specifically. And um, she was at a point where her daughter had uh, bipolar, she wasn't sleeping, she was stressed out. She was just released from her doctors um, as far as breast cancer and had overcome that and was really struggling. By the time we were done, like I said, we removed diabetes from her chart entirely and she was losing weight, um, her blood sugars were controlled by the cannabis, sleeping at night, her stress was controlled, and so when cannabis came to Ohio, I knew I wanted to be a part of that. Unfortunately, the way that the medical system, the way that it's set up in, um, even in the Ohio government in particular, is you know physicians are allowed to get certified, but don't necessarily need to have a lot of information about it. And so I signed up with a company that told me that I didn't really need to know anything, just in and out, do cards, that they were more concerned about the cash than the patient, which meant that I wasn't going to work for them. And I became certified as a cannabis educator. And then looking back at that one particular time in my career, I also became certified as a life coach and then opened Green Harvest Health because I wanted to approach medicine differently. I wanted to approach cannabis differently. So um, we started with an office in um, Pickerington and then have now two offices in the Columbus area, one in 
uh, Cleveland area, and we do uh, remote clinics when necessary. Even before COVID, I was doing home visits for our sickest patients, which was really incredibly rewarding. And so our goal is education and empowerment. So we work with patients not only to get them their medical cannabis card, and even as a family physician providing the physical exams or documentation that they need to obtain the card, because for a lot of people, particularly in our community, that have felt disenfranchised by physicians, by traditional medicine, they have ongoing chronic conditions, but don't necessarily have the documentation because of how they've been treated. So we work with them to get the correct documentation so that they can make a move towards something more holistic, whether it's CBD or cannabis. And as well as we offer life coaching, we've signed on with Coach um, Callie, who is a nutritionist and fitness expert, to help with that other aspect of wellness, because it cannot be just one aspect. It can't be just cannabis or CBD as a tool, but you have to have numerous tools in your toolbox, um, in your toolkit to be able to be successful. Um, the one thing I started doing because of my interest and become, I was coming from traditional medicine is I do uh, a social media show every other week um, called the Wellness Toolkit. And part of it was really educating myself about the holistic practices that are out there that I knew my patients were interested in. But coming from traditional medicine, I really didn't have that much information about. And I figured if I had questions about it, then you probably do as well. And so we're talking to people that do Reiki and crystals and work with nutrition and diet, um, hypnotists, um, ASMR, if, if you're familiar with that, um, colonics, different holistic options that people are choosing to reclaim their wellness and take control um, that other people might not have even considered. So the one thing that's really important to me in cannabis is really getting rid of the stigma as, as you have heard earlier and working with the misconceptions and working within the black community to help them because if you consider that all the conditions that are listed are chronic conditions black americans suffer more with chronic medical conditions than the, the public at large and we are less likely to obtain a medical cannabis card for a number of reasons, reasons, whether it's cost, whether it's fear of having to turn in our guns, whether we're still concerned about um, criminalization for it, whether we're concerned about the stigma for it, but we're probably more likely to benefit from CBD and cannabis than, than other people in the community, but we're either not given the information or we're giving misinformation as far as obtaining that card. So I work with, obviously, the people that are, have already been spoken earlier to um, get rid of the stigma, to educate our community. Um, but I also work with Riddle Farm. If you have not heard about Riddle Farm, is an inner city um, urban utopia, honestly, in the city of Cleveland that helps educate um, our community as far as um, personally growing and cultivating their own food and um, also educating the community as well. So that's a big part of, of my drive. And so if we are more likely to have chronic conditions, we should also be more likely to obtain the CBD or cannabis cards um, for our wellness. 
And if you look at whether number one is gonna be chronic pain, fibromyalgia, PTSD, there are more people with PTSD, we often look at it as a veteran issue, but more people have PTSD from traumatic events in their lives, men and women, than, than just from a military experience itself. Those are the top three conditions that people are obtaining cards for. Other conditions are gonna be inflammatory bowel disease and Crohn's, um, there's going to be sickle cell, as we talked about earlier. You know, there's a number of things that we disproportionately um, experience, but are not seeking cards to obtain. And so a lot of what we do is getting that information out and making sure that you feel comfortable with your decision and doing the follow-up so that you're well-educated about what to use. Because, you know, as Kevin said, THC can be interesting and sexy and people want to be a part of it. CBD and the other minor cannabinoids are the workhorse of cannabis. THC is really the icing on the cake, does incredible things. Glaucoma is really best treated with um, THC alone. But uh, we we need to have education about both aspects of that and realizing that when you're incorporating all of those cannabinoids together, the active ingredients of cannabis, then you get a lot farther than when you're using any one of those alone. And so we work to make sure people understand that also, sure, you can get cannabis off the street, but what you're getting is often, you, you can't always be confident. You might really trust the friend that you got it from, but you don't necessarily need to be trusting the friend that they got it from. And that's where we're really, I think, often struggling. That you can have a concealed to carry and have cannabis card as well. And I won't get into the details of it, you know, in this moment, but those are misconceptions that are out there. That also, if you're looking for medicinal options, choosing to go to a dispensary where you have so many, a variety of ways to use it, variety of ways to, um, uh, as far as dosage and length and timing, all of those options are there for you. And we do the education with our patients. We actually do free follow-ups at our office because it is more interesting to me to make sure you're on the right track than it is to take a couple more dollars just to have a conversation. So um, outside of that and having my own line of CBD, products that we have curated and developed with a number of different processors really um, across the nation and now um, that we wanted to be able to create our product as opposed to just white labeling at the time. And now we're in the midst of doing direct sales and affiliate sales with really we're looking at trying to get this um, out as a low hanging fruit, a way to get into the industry for um, people in our community, but also we're looking at helping people white label their own products. And so I work with business development people that really work with people in the black community across the nation, so that if you're interested in creating your own product and you wanna work with a physician to be able to, to get that out to you and that you can trust, that's a lot of the work that we're um, focusing on right now as well. And obviously Solomon talked about Cannabis Can, which is, you know, my my heart and to be able to um, live in a place of gratitude is really uh, a, very important to what we do as well. So if you have questions or what have you. 
And we're going to give her her flowers, too, because she's not saying everything that she does in the industry because she does a lot. And uh, her her husband, just Green Harvest Health in general, is really a super go-to, I think, for anybody in the state of Ohio, honestly. Um, and they've really made just big strides on what they're doing because we do it with education. And that's been right. the main thing truly putting education out there in all aspects, be it just with the CBD, be it with speaking on sickle cell, be it speaking on diabetes, just the yeah. true education yeah. and getting it out to our people is like one of the main things. And I really applaud you for everything that you've done. Yeah. And of course, a That's lot of what down. I do, yeah, no, um, a lot of what I do, of course, is with uh, Cleveland School of Cannabis and being able